Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. My name's Olivia Agar. Thanks for tuning into episode 223. COVID, climate, China, conflict and cost are some of the big talking points in markets. And today we have the pleasure of Michael Whitehead's company to talk us through how these factors are impacting the outlook for commodity markets and the Australian ag industry. So regular listeners will know Michael is head of Agribusiness Insights at ANZ and a regular guest on the Commodity Conversations podcast. ANZ's latest Agri in Focus Autumn Edition report has recently been released, which we're going to talk about today. So this episode is jam-packed. It's covering the big trends I mentioned, as well as the outlook for the next cropping season and dives into the sheep, dairy and sugar market. Something for just about everyone. First, let's quickly jump into the markets this week and I'll start with wool. It was a pretty mixed result in the east with fine micron wools not getting a lot of support this week and prices retreating, but there was much more interest in some of the mid and broader microns compared to recent weeks, which has helped steady out the eastern market indicator and halt the downward momentum of the previous fortnight. In Fremantle, pre-sale withdrawals led to a smaller offering which motivated buyers and saw all micron price guides improve. There was plenty of news in the grain market this week. The Black Sea Grain Initiative has been renewed for another 60 days. So interestingly, this is only half of the previous extension length. And Russia stated that further extensions would depend on the removal of some of the Western sanctions that are in place. Concerns about financial instability are also affecting commodity markets and reduced crush demand in Europe has seen nearby canola demand fall away. So all in all, futures and local cash prices have declined over the week. I'll leave it there today. Enjoy the episode with Rob and Michael. Michael, welcome back to Commodity Conversations. Rob, thanks very much. Now, we're talking about your um, your Ag in Focus report again. I mean, we love looking forward to it, but you, you really got me intrigued. And I'm, I'm going to let you explain this, but you talk about what's ahead um, under the headings of the four C's. Let's just, let, I'll let you just pull that apart and explain what you mean by the four C's, Michael. Absolutely. Look, here we are, well, we're, we're into March already in 2023, but we're still in an agri sense looking across this year and we're looking in 2023, 2024, because so many of the decisions that farmers make are, are looking into that next year. And the four C's that you talk about that we see as uh, some of the biggest things impacting things are COVID, climate, China and conflict. And, and we'll even add a fifth one at the end of that. And that is very much costs this year. In a nutshell, let's just have a, a two sentences on each one. COVID, the reason that COVID is still impacting ag is because world supply chains uh, were disrupted so much by COVID that countries are now prepared to pay more for their grain imports, their beef imports and, and other imports because they got so nervous about running out of things in the last pandemic and supply chains. Uh, to quote the WHO, uh, they don't want to be fooled again and they want to make sure that those food supplies are coming through. On another basis, the other thing about COVID that will impact uh, things going forward really is that labour issue too, whether it's getting labour for your horticultural operation, your shearing team, uh, your, your dairy operation as well. Those uh, carry-ons from COVID will keep impacting things. 
climate, that's the weather forecast. We've had two or three great post-drought periods. Uh, we've had good feed, we've had good crops, all those things. The forecast right at the moment are for things right now to go back to average, and that's going to impact returns, and that's going to impact yields, and producers need to think about building that in. The third one's China. What is China going to buy? What's it going to need? And whether that's whether it changes some of its policies on wool, whether it buys more Australian beef now that it's shut out Brazilian beef for the time being based on mad cow disease, uh, whether, for example, it buys more canola because it's looking to reduce its imports and reliance on soy imports and soy oil from the US and from Brazil. And also, if, there's, if there was hypothetically any kind of uh, geopolitical issues around China, how much that may impact things and how much we need to reduce our exposure or look at our exposure on the Chinese market. And the last one is, and it's a big one, conflict. And conflict means Ukraine and Russia, and it means particularly around grain and grain prices. And while we've seen them shoot up over the last 13 months or so after the Ukraine conflict started and that uncertainty come out, and then we saw them go back down to high levels, not back to low levels and not at those peak heights, but uh, come back down um, over 13 months, the fact is that the potential for volatility, for stoppages again, remains there. And if something were to change in that conflict, then we could potentially see uh, panic come back into the market and upward pressure on prices again. Um, so th those are the big four. And the last one, and feel free to go on with this one, is costs. And we are seeing the impact of costs really be forecast into a lot of farming outlooks going forward. Yes, and, and we know that farmers are telling us, Michael, that uh, it's all very well to be having this uh, elevated pricing period and, uh, and strong demand, but margins are pretty tight. And I know that you, you've noticed that ABARES have actually come out with some, uh, some quite concerning outlooks for um, farm margins. It is interesting. If you look at the latest ABES figures, and they're online as well, and it will be really interesting to see how, how ABES talks about these, they talk about absolutely the gross value of production, so overall farm production, coming down. And that's not unexpected. Wheat prices and grain prices have come off their highs, and beef prices and others have come off their highs. We knew that was going to happen. They're still high. But it is total farm costs and forecasts for those which continue to get closer and closer to what that overall value of production is. Um, it's interesting if you look at these. Unsurprisingly, um, there have been predictions for fertilizer price rises, fuel price rises, uh, other inputs as well. And ABS is saying they will come down, start to dissipate in 2023-24. The big ones that ABS are factoring in are labor and interest rates as well. So whether that's for farms who've borrowed to buy the neighbours or how far they're leveraged, um, and it's also for their labour costs and what that's going to mean. And ABS is forecasting those to go up reasonably high. The, the big one that comes out of that, and once again, it's in ABS data for 2023-24, is that they are forecasting real net cash farm income. So that's if you take all the years back to, for them, 1994 or so, and, and make it sort of where the dollar's worth the same, they're forecasting them to be at around a 25-year low. So 
if we can sum that up into something that so much of the industry needs to think about going into this year, it's that it's been after the drought a number of really good years for most farmers, certainly not for everyone. And we saw the rains in New South Wales hit crops hard and that was a big issue going forward. But looking towards this year, you've got to think about two things. One, what is the weather going to do? unpredictable in, uh, to, to a full degree, but uh, there is obviously some predictability. And secondly, let's put it like this. If I've made good money over the last two years, what am I going to do with my strategy going forward and particularly remembering tighter times in the past? Well, let's talk about uh, strategy for individual commodities. And uh, on the back of, you know, that we've got excellent soil moisture profile in many areas, Australian grain producers are likely to try and plant another record crop. And, you know, it was a little bit surprising, the yields that came in last year. There was concern earlier with floods and, and, and other things impacting, but we had a terrific crop. Um, that's that's encouraging people to plant again, and, and we're pretty sure that's going to happen. But the price pricing profile is different to where it was this time last year, isn't it, Michael? What do you see ahead for that? Look, absolutely. And and when you say we had a terrific crop, it's interesting to break that down by states as well, because the New South Wales crop was down by a third after so much of the crop damage there. But Australia still saw a record winter crop. Had New South Wales had the same kind of year that West Australia and South Australia had, uh, well, off the charts is an exaggeration, but it would have been well above record levels um, around that 70 uh, million tonne mark. Um, in terms of going forward from here, for the last two years, increasingly so many uh, croppers, uh, grain producers have said, yes, prices are an issue of inputs and of seed, but I'm still going to plant, I'm still going to plant. Absolutely. As we say, if there is money that's been made over the last two years, if the fact that uh, the weather may not be as perfect as it was over the last couple of years going forward, and if those costs are an issue, we may well see some growers, particularly in places with more marginal areas like WA, um, choose to let some areas stay fallow this year. That might be an option. Um, we may see some producers really sort of think about how much their wheat versus barley versus canola mix may be. One of the other big considerations in some areas is whether some growers uh, put more emphasis on a summer crop to either take advantage of soil moisture or, or make up for what they lost during last year. Uh, and another one is also the sheep side too. It's been the fact over the years that as sheep have gone down, grain acreage has gone up in an inverse correlation, whether that happens or, or whether that's not the case. And, and croppers say, no, I don't feel like going into sheep. I got out of them. I never want to go back to them and, and put in a crop, but also wonder if the need comes for inputs, maybe they won't put the same inputs on later in the season as they did last year. Now, it's fantastic. A couple of old Western Districts boys always end up coming back to talking about sheep. Um, it's an interesting conundrum right now. The sheep flock has grown a little bit, but we all know about the challenges of, of labour and, uh, and and keeping and looking after that flock. At the same time, mutton prices have come back, lamb prices have come back, but heavy lamb prices have done really well. Can you pick that apart a bit, Michael? Yeah, look, it is really interesting to to look at the the sheep side of things. And uh, was in the Riverina last week and and talking with sheep producers there about 
the overall change uh, for so many sheep farmer strategies from a wool focus one with meat on the side to completely in the other direction. Um, that that demand for sheep meat was obviously strong over the last few years, driven by one of the China factors. Uh, when um, swine fever hit China, China needed raw, uh, more red meat. Uh, Australian sheep demand was in there and uh, lamb and mutton export demand was also strong into the US, uh, into the Middle East and places like PNG as well. That fluctuates. Um, that looks likely to remain reasonably strong, but we can never take it for granted. And as you say, even those of us Western District people who've been in sheep for generations, uh, perhaps know that it's it's a market that uh, you know can fluctuate very much depending on whether the demand is from those export markets. One thing that is going to impact it is going to be the processor labour. And, and if processors continue to have trouble finding the labour to do the work there, from everything from migration to wage costs and those kind of things, that could have some downward impact. The demand might be there for the end product, but just not the, the labour there to process it. That's that side of it. On the other side of it, the, the wool side with sheep as well, as much as we all love wool and has for a, have for a very long time, it is arguably a niche product globally. It continues to compete with cotton. It continues to compete with the artificial fibers. And in a time of economic instability and economic uncertainty, uh, we love that the consumers of Europe buy a lot of wool products to wear through their winter. But if things get tight for them, they might back off a bit. The processors and the buyers out of China and other buying places may get a bit nervous. So we need to watch for that to impact wool and to impact uh, ultimately local sheep producers. Well, look, let's let's uh, take a bit of a tour up the east coast of Australia, Michael, head north. I want you to tell us a little bit about what you found about the sugar market, and uh, it's almost a, a uh, it's a really sweet story, Michael. Oh, Rob, that hurt. <laughs> um, but look, look, it is, and and sugar has had a good year. We we talk about these things when we talk about grain being different by region around Australia sugar as well um, has been having one of its good years it's very much concentrated and, and as you say it's it's largely a Queensland story with a bit of New South Wales but it is seeing a multi-year production high it is really had a good season as well and the other thing about sugar and this is how grain was last year too it is good to be in a year where your domestic production is high but other factors have meant that global prices are high at the same time and for that, one of the things has been that some of the global sugar competitors uh, out of the Northern Hemisphere particularly have been impacted. So that's meant that uh, demand has reacted to, well, almost a shortage. So that's kept prices high. It's meant that uh, Brazil also had a challenge crop, looking better going forward, but prices were high there too. A lot of the Brazilian crop having gone into ethanol and increasingly India looking at putting some of their sugar crop into ethanol has meant less feed sugar out on the market. Uh, as somebody has said, uh, some of our sugar people on the ground in that region in northern Australia, um, this is a really good time to be in that industry and touch wood, that'll continue going forward for the season. Well, that's great news for those people up north because, um, you know, there's a, there's a a pretty strong and loyal sugar producer population up that way who have stuck through some pretty tough times and now getting to good times. Just one other commodity, Michael, just to round off your whole report and 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 please pass on our congratulations to your team. Um, again, 
it's a great report that ANZ puts out. Um, Michael, the, the dairy industry, it's, um, look, it's, it's, a, it's a boom and bust, isn't it? Uh, but uh, at the moment, just tell us where it's at now and what, what's to head. Look, dairy is a really interesting industry because while it uh, continues to see high farm grade prices uh, for its product and on the on the strength of things, they would normally lift numbers. If you're seeing high cattle prices, then you tend to see people stocking up more and the herd going up. Same with sheep, same with grain as well. But the contrast with dairy is despite those high prices, the numbers continue to go down of the herd, of the farmers, and also of national milk production. And there are a number of reasons for this, whether it is the fact that uh, it's the shortage of labour, which makes it a very tough industry to be doing on the ground. And for anybody who's farming, regardless of what you're in, it's always a tough industry. But but dairy, if you don't have the labour, um, if you're continuing to do the amazing hours that dairy farmers do, and, and controversially, does anybody work harder or longer hours than dairy farmers do? Um, and also, look, on a positive side, while beef is doing well, increasingly dairy farmers may be getting attractive offers from beef farmers next door to take over some of the good pasture and high rainfall operations they're in. And that could give them a chance to exit the industry in a good way. And this continues to be a trend. And it's an issue. It's an issue for the dairy processors, who Australia's number of dairy processors see that shrinking milk pool and how they're going to go forward with that. Uh, for the retailers who are buying their dairy products, but an increasing, uh, decreasing amount produced domestically, where do they go with strategies, domestic versus imports? It means that global prices and the global dairy trade uh, less and less has an, imp an impact on Australian dairy prices. But it's a trend with an industry that so much of that supply chain is going to have to factor in going forward. Uh, how it adapts, whether it flattens out in the same way that, as you said earlier, the sheep industry has flattened out after years of decline. The dairy industry hasn't done that. And where that whole industry will go forward. Well, I'm speaking to Michael Whitehead today, and uh, it's because ANZ have again released their um, Agri Insights. Michael, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much. And uh, we really appreciate your generous time that you make, make available for us. Thanks again. We look forward to seeing you back on Commodity Conversations soon. Look, thank you, Rob, and to you and all the Mercado team, and I have to say it, um, all the great material that you put out as well. Um, congratulations on all the work too.